0: Do you, do you mind if I stand down here? And That's a long ways up there. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your love. And this morning, Lord God, I just pray that you would impart to us a greater love for, Lord, um, understanding who we are in you, our identity, and also for others, Lord God, that we would see people through the lenses of Jesus and that you would continue to impart that for the rest of our lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to speak to you this morning really quickly about the value of a soul. Um, you know, when you have a creator of something or somebody who designed something, um, it's very important or to understand that they put a lot of work into it, they um, put a lot of value into it, and they, they put a lot of worth into it, their energy and so forth. Um, obviously, I don't have a lot of time to develop this full uh, series that I preached, but um, I just want to share with you more this morning the, the value of a person's soul. So what does that mean? I want you to think two things this morning, two things, yourself, how valuable are you to God? The more you understand the value that you have in the Lord, the more you're actually going to love other people, how much God loves you. And the second thing is, how valuable are the people that you see on a weekly basis? that you fellowship with, or in your family that you see, that you don't know, school, work, wherever it may be, how valuable are those people to God? The more we understand the value of a soul, of every soul, the greater impact we're going to have in our communities. Does that make sense? Because if we go around and just think, eh, that person, whatever, that person, whatever, that person, whatever, And then we pray on Sunday, Jesus, please use me. Um, Kind of a contradiction. I've done it millions of times in my life, but it really is a contradiction when we say, Lord, use me, and then we pass people up during the week that God puts us right in front of. Amen. A week ago, or not a week ago, I'm going to say probably about three or four weeks ago, we baptized a couple of our first homeless people off the street in Spokane that were excited to get baptized and I was there was about twenty that came in the church, and um, we've been ministering, witnessing to them, feeding them, and just really pouring a lot of energy into them, letting them know that they are valuable to god and I met a couple that came in i don 't know if they were married, I have no clue and you're you're talking off the street, beard down to here, hair was going everywhere, heavy clothes because it 's cold and And this lady walked in behind him, I met him, sat him down, um, shook their hand, talked to him for a minute before the service started. And right before the service started, a guy named Steven, who's been evangelizing on the street for us or with us for several months, came up to me and he goes, Van, I just want you to know that person that you just sat down and shook his hand, he's one of the biggest drug dealers on the street. And I'm going, all right, is that a good thing? or is that a bad thing? I had to think really quick about who I was at that time. Did I think of that person as a drug dealer who needs to be arrested or put in jail or whatever it might be, or did I look at that person and see what Jesus saw? Clearly, we know that God is just, and just, justice needs to happen to people that do wrong things. We all know that. But this person sat there with his girlfriend or his wife, I have no idea. And they left after worship started. I'm sure worship wasn't a fun thing for them, but they came to church. And right away, I had in my heart to decide, do I see Jesus in that person or the potential of Jesus in that person, or do I see a drug dealer who needs to be arrested? And I, wanna, I just want to share five points this morning. Yes, in a 10-minute sermon, I'm going to have five points. When you see a person, do you see what God sees? Do you see what God sees? The thing, there's five things I want to share that when God created you, and when God created the person who is your neighbor or the classmate or your workmate or the person who has hurt you in your life, the person who has offended you for some reason in your life, There's five things that God put into that person, just like he put into you. First one is creativity. Who designed it and how much effort did they put into it? Psalms 139.13. Most of you know this scripture, but it's so profound. For you formed the inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You just had a series called Hop on the Bus, right? Well, let me ask you a question. When you get on a bus, or when you go to school, or when you go to work, do you see the person sitting next to you, working next to you? Do you see this scripture in their life? Do you see what Jesus sees and says, that person, I don't know if they're saved, if they're a Christian, if they're a Hindu. I have no clue what their background is. But I know that they are fearfully, and they are wonderfully made by God. Whether they look like me, act like me, or anything like that, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. The next one is, what's the potentiality of that person? What does the Creator have in mind for that creation, and do they have a plan for what they have made? Do, you, do we think like that when we see people? Did God make that person, and does God have a plan for that person? Obviously, the famous scriptures jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and this was obviously spoken over Israel when Israel was doing bad, bad things. Israel was not at the top of their game at this time. they were sinning they were uh, they were a stench to God, and the prophet came to them and said, "For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So let me stop just for a second, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your bad times in the midst of you fighting with relate people around you, do you still know that God has plans for you? He does. He has a plan for you. Each and every one of us, he has an actual plan in his design for you. He designed you a certain way, and he has a plan for you, just like he has a plan for the person who's sitting next to you on that bus. Amen? Durability. This is important. How long does a soul Last. When you realize a soul is eternal, either with God in eternity or without God in eternity, it should make our mind click a little bit different and go, Whoa, God sent me to share to this person, and if I don't share, what's going to happen to them for eternity? Our thought process on is it forever or not? should determine our love for that person. If someone's going to hell and I was flying there 90 miles per hour when I was 19 years old when I got saved, people came to me on my college campus and shared Christ with me. Every one of you have a story in here how someone either prayed for you and shared with you Christ and Him crucified. Amen? In this the end of Ecclesiastes 12:6. There, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. If you ever have a question, theological question, does a soul, does a spirit last forever? Yes, it returns to God, either for judgment or peace in heaven forever. And there's only two options. Amen. So it is durable forever and ever and ever. What's the value or worth? does that creator put into his creation. I love this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is making it very clear. You ready for this, my nutshell verse here? All the wealth in the world does not compare to your soul. You can take trillions. What's above trillions? I have no idea. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Mathematician. <laughs> Everything in the world does not match one soul that God created. That's how valuable the person is that is sitting next to you or in your school or at work with you. That's how valuable they are. The last one, what is the desirability? If the, is the object worth making or is it worth the time to make the object or the person or the soul? And I love this. I'm just going to read the last verse in 1 Peter 1:17, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, God sent his best that you and I might be saved. So my message here this morning And I want to end with this. It's not written up there. Knowing the value of each soul should adjust our relationships. My relationship with my wife, which God's still helping me out because I need work. My relationship with everybody in my church, everybody around me. But especially this. The ones that we know and the ones that we don't know. I'm going to end with this. Especially the ones that have hurt us. Because what do we do? that person hurt me, write them off. It's not what we should do. We should walk through this thing called forgiveness. And I just want to encourage you when I give the mic over here. The person who hurt you that has a very valuable soul, just as valuable as yours, just begin to pray for that person every day. You don't need to talk to them for a while, but you pray and you pray and you pray and right there, doing that, you are showing how valuable they are to God. They might have hurt you; they might you might have some deep wounds in your life. But you know what? Your soul and their soul are equally valuable. Amen. This is my lovely wife, Lori.
1: Hi, I am uh, honored to to share with you guys this morning. So I'm going to dive in because the t- clock is ticking. So I want to first just start with this scripture. It's in Psalms 27, and it said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And um, the, the Hebrew kings um, in the times before Solomon, they, they, God did not want them to go back to Egypt and acquire horses and chariots. He wanted them to be acutely aware of their dependence on him and so he didn't want the extra things and it also those, so those horses and chariots represent those those extra things that would cause them to not have to just rely on the lord but it also represents them going back and so that's the framework where we want to start this morning i want to share a little bit with you about our lives Um, to encourage you guys along this journey. Um, 31 years ago when we were uh, still dating and in college, um, I remember my husband now, we were driving into the city and he turned to me and he had just recently become a Christian and he said, one day I'm going to pastor a church in this city. And when he said that to me, I I didn't honestly think much of it. I remember where we were on the road, um, but... But I didn't see that, and I didn't believe that. So I didn't put a lot of weight in what he said. And, um, and as life went on, so we're going to fast forward now um, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years into our marriage, he would keep bringing this dream up. And at this point, he was a pastor on staff, but he wasn't senior pastor pastoring a church in the city, he said. And, I, and to be honest with you, I still didn't really see it in my heart. And um, time came when um, we purchased a home that was, for me, our dream home. And as we closed that day and got the keys to the house, I was driving up the driveway to meet him because he had the moving truck. And I remember exactly where I was on the driveway, and I felt in my heart this voice of the Lord that said, five years, you'll be here five years. And... Um, in my heart, I thought that's weird. Why would God do this? I'm gonna live here forever. This is my this is my dream and I'm here and I'm staying. And um and I didn't tell Van about that because one, I, I wasn't sure if it was the voice of the Lord, and two, I really didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to stay there. It wasn't part of my the other stuff wasn't part of my plan. But I but I tucked it away because I knew that there might be a day that I might need that if in fact, it was the voice of the Lord that I heard. And um, there's a story in the Old Testament that many of you are very probably familiar with. And it's a story of, of uh, the Lord leading the people with Moses out of Egypt into the promised land. And um, the promises there are from Exodus chapter 6. And... Um, the promises include he wants to bring them out, he wants to free them from the yoke of slavery, he wants to make them his own, and then he wants to bring them into the promise that he had promised them, the promised land, and give them possession of it. And so we're at this place where the Israelites are at the cusp of the promised land that God wants to give them. And they send spies in and they go, they go look at it. And when God gives us a promise, we have to be very careful What we do with it. And what they did is they looked and they saw the giants in the land. And when they saw the giants in the land, what happened to them was um, they forgot God's promises. And instead they saw the giants. And in fact, they didn't only forget God's promises, but they called, basically they called God a liar because then they said, why did he bring us out here? We're going to die. And then they said, we want to go back. And instead of seeing the promise, they saw the giants, and they wanted to turn around and and run back to what was comfortable. And giants in the Hebrew translation means causing to fall or violence. And so those giants were a potential for a cause to fall. So between the past and their destiny was a cause to fall or a giant. And I find that true In our lives, and I certainly have found it true in my life, and um, and um, in Hebrews eleven eight it says, "By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance." And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, sometimes obeying requires, sometimes faith requires obedience in where we're not sure where we're going. And as time went on with Van and I, it became evident that it was time for us to church plant. The elders had had put their stamp of approval on us to be sent out to church plant. And um, my heart was still kind of in the same spot. But um, what I recognized was that I had to walk or I wasn't sure where I was going because God had called us. And as we packed up, I remember looking at the closing papers on the house that we had purchased that I was packing up to move. And I looked at the closing date on the house, and then I looked at the day that we were heading out of Spokane. And it was five years to the week. It was two days away from five years exactly where we bought that house and where we headed out to Spokane. And that was God's Deuteronomy 6 to me. That was God saying... I am going to be with you. And I needed that in my life because I didn't know what was ahead. And I knew all I could see were the giants. But I knew that faith required obedience. And sometimes, the, sometimes faith looks like the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we need to, we think, well, I don't have faith in that. Well, can you be faithful? Because God will count faithfulness as faith. And the Lord would say, if you can be faithful, he'll count it as faith. And sometimes what we need to fear is we need to fear God more than the giants. We need to fear the Lord because if we fear the Lord, we'll obey him. And then the the giants don't have a grip on our life. Psalms 27 is that promise. And so as my, my heart and what I have felt for this church is that it, God has brought you guys, you have a history. And when we look back, God doesn't want us to look back to go back. God wants us to look back to remember his faithfulness. And so when we remember his faithfulness, it is so that we will look at him today and not the giants in front of us, so that he can bring us to the promise. And I have a sense that the Lord wants to do that in this season. You know, all our lives go through seasons, but there's a season in this church where the richness of the history of this church, the purpose of it, is to remind you of God's faithfulness. But his promise is still in front of you. And so don't look... For the chariots, and don't look for the horses, and don't look for the things that would cause you to go back, but look to the promise keeper who is also the promise, and that's Jesus and what he wants to do in and through you guys. Um, Psalms 27. Could you throw that up there? That I would have courage to face the giants. I have to get back to it here. Yeah. Um, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And when it says the name of the Lord our God, that's talking about the Lord's character. It's talking about not, not a semantics in the name of Jesus. It's talking about the character of the Lord, which comes from a place of intimacy. It comes from that place of knowing not just the promise of God, but the promise keeper. In this church, you know the promise keeper, and so I just want to exhort you to keep your eyes on the promise keeper because if you do that, the giants won't stop what the Lord has for you, you, this house.
2: Well, aloha, everyone, and uh, what a great honor once again to be back here at Quiet Bible Church. Uh, Sue and I have been trying to count how many times we've been here, maybe too many, maybe I'm just like, not him again, but uh, but uh, we always love this island. It's our favorite island. It's a uh, favorite place to go, and uh, we just enjoy it. It's kind of a home away from home. And uh, uh, I've actually, because I was very close to Merv and Dar, I've watched this church go through a lot of... Waters and channels and, and situations, and I have great confidence of God f- fulfilling everything that uh, He has promised to this church. And you kind of heard that today. Van really reminded us of our mission, and uh, we need to have confidence that God is with us on our mission. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. And uh, He is with us. That's kind of the word I have for you today. Just as Lori talked about trusting in God and and having and not having confidence in chariots and horses or fearing the thing that's against us or facing us, but really what God's called us to do and be faithful to that, being confident that he is able to finish what he started. And then, of course, our mission, we need to be focused on that. God is with you when you're engaging people. Yeah, God's working on a lot of people on this island. You don't even realize he's working on their heart. And uh, just I was inviting someone to just share with someone here that uh that uh, I was a pastor and what we were doing here on the island. And uh, uh, this guy uh, said to me, uh, no, blankety-blank. That's amazing. And uh, he started talking to me about his search for God between four-letter expletives. And, uh, you know, he would say, well, that guy's just a rank sinner. No, he's, he's a heart that's being molded by God as God's got his hook in this guy and recognizing he can't live life by himself. I mean, I used to cuss all the time my first, uh, my first sermon that I ever preached was the day that I, I really encountered God in Kitty Task county jail, and prisoners were on one side of the bar and I was on the other side of the jail bars and and I talked about the thief on the cross, and I called him a bad, dealing with the buttocks dude. And uh, that, was my, that was my first sermon that I ever preached. So just don't, don't, don't be scared, intimidated by all the rough edges you see around them. Look at a person's heart and see what God's doing. That was a great word, and of course, that God is with us on our mission. I want to read to you out of Psalm 46. just wanted to bring a word of confidence in you that God is, um, God is building the church, God is in the church. Uh, you're in a great secure place, a safe place, and really have confidence that God is with you in this mission. If I could share maybe one of the things that happens against a pastor and, and happens in a local church after years of pastoring is that there's this accusation and then there's this thought, this fear, this, this this murmuring, sometimes this spreading of a rumor that God's not with us anymore, that God is not with us. Like the young convert is trying to learn to prophesy and and he got up and he said, and the Lord is departing from this place. And he's, he's written Michelob on the doorpost. and uh, thinking of Ichabod. But, you know, we're always thinking that the presence of God is lifted. The, the anointing of God is lifted off of us. The favor of God is off of us because we have to deal with each other's human limitations. And because of that, somehow we fail to see that God is in this thing building the church. I will build my church. And I, as Jesus there, I will build my church. And so Psalm 46, I'm reading now the New English Translation. Why? Because my wife, out of graciousness, bought me a preaching Bible. I lost mine, and it happened to be a New English Translation. And so I started preaching on it in honor of her, and I started really liking it and uh, (coughs) and, and preaching on it. And I found out that there's a lot of integrity with the the original language, and it's a good translation. I'm not saying it's the best or this is the top, but it's my preaching Bible, so that's what we're going to read today. It says starts off here as God is our refuge. God is our refuge. And you might have here in this translation, this is a different translation I have, I have the N-E-T, God is our strong refuge. Come on, He's a safe place. How many people know that having a relationship with God, He is a safe place to be at. If you're going to be anywhere at any time, you need to be in a place of a relationship with God. I was here with you last January when we had the Twenty-minute missile alert, and uh, everyone's flying all over the hotel where we were at. And you know, God is our refuge. You want a safe place? You want to be in God. My wife was packing her bags. I don't know where we we're going to go. You know, with a suitcase, <laughs> with a missile coming against Hawaii. But uh, the safe place is with Jesus. Come on, He is He is truly our helper in times of trouble. I'm going to look at this right now. He is truly our helper. <laughs> That's what it says right there. In times of trouble. He is not, was our helper. He, he is present. Some of your translations, he's a very present help in the time of need. He's, he's present now. Now, one commentator on this particular psalm saw this as a response to God defeating Sennacherib when he came against, the, the, against Hezekiah and uh, the nation of Judah in Jerusalem, where he surrounded the city and said, you know what? No, no other gods could stop us. Your God can't stop you. Don't listen to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah went to Isaiah, you know, sent him this. He was spread this letter before the Lord and praying as Isaiah sent a word to him. By tomorrow morning, these guys are going to be out of here. I'm going to fight for you. And the Bible says in the middle of the night, God came, I think it was 185,000, 150, 185,000 people. He killed 185,000 of these guys. Now, I don't know how God did it. The Bible doesn't say how he did it. Probably had them turn on each other. But he says, I will bring them, I will send them back to where they came from. That's exactly what happened. They woke up in the morning and the guys had skedaddle. Now, whether that's true or not, that this psalm was written, it makes good preaching. But the, the issue is this he's not just a help in the past, he's a help now. So, for this reason, we do not fear when the earth shakes. Come on, no fear. Everyone say no fear. Now, Captain Jake took us out here on uh, his Zodiac boat on on Friday and did a great job. And uh, I was teasing one of our members of our team that, uh, you know, about all the dangers of what we're in just to give him a bad time. And at one point when I looked at the crest of the wave uh, and the swell and I couldn't see the rest of the ocean, I started getting a little nervous myself. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, come on, when the earth shakes, he goes on, he hype. In hyperbole, he begins to describe this metaphor thing. The, the earth shakes. The mountains tumble into the depths of the sea. When its waves crash and foam. Sounds like Hawaii today. Come on, we've got some swells going on. And the mountains shake before the surging sea. Go on, there's some swelling going on, there's some earthquakes going on, there's some shaking going on. Now we've got a lot going on in our world. You've got a lot going on on your island. I know half the people who are on this island are here on a vacation, but the rest of the half have to live with the reality of all the stuff you face as a culture, just like we live with the reality of all the stuff we face as a culture in the Northwest, uh, we face a thing called sin. Evil is lurking everywhere, lurking everywhere everywhere. And we all have to face it. Uh, we drive by down to Kapaha, the little, uh, you know, the prison on, on our left as we're heading, you know, towards the North Shore. Come on, I saw a bunch of prisoners out there yesterday. You got, you got people incarcerated. You got drugs. You got broke, breaks up family. You got suicides. You got everything that we face. We It's paradise, but we face this thing that we face all over the world. And we, and we hear, you know, what's going on in the world. We got ISIS here, and we got what's going on in Afghanistan. The Democrats hate the Republicans. The Republicans hate the Democrats and, you know, we shut the government down. We got this, we got that. Stock market goes up. Stock market goes down. Okay, today I'm a good day. Today, today, Yesterday was a bad day. And we have all this thing. The Bible says this. Come on. The Bible says this. Verse 4. There's the river's channels bring joy to the city of God. Some of your translations, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The special holy dwelling place of the sovereign one. So we got all this going on, but what we do have as the people of God is we have a river. Now the Bible, when the Bible talks about rivers, yes, we use it to talk about the presence of God, but it also talks about the rivers of God being the favor of God. That when all this is going on, the shaking, the swelling, the tumbling, the earthquakes, the confusion, people coming against us. One thing we know is that we have a river. We have the favor of God. And it's not just a river that's in the midst of Jerusalem. The river has channels that go out. It's not just the favor of God upon the corporate church, it's the favor of God to that local church. It's not just the favor of God to that local church. That channel goes to you, goes to your household, goes to your finances, goes to your situation, goes to your mountains that you're facing. Come on, there is a river in the midst of all this, I don't have to fear, that comes to me. The favor of God and, and His presence in my life. Come on, God, res- God lives within it, verse 5. It cannot be moved. God lives in the church. The one thing I've, 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 I've experienced and known, that God is not just building the church, He's in the church. This is His place where He hangs out. I've never seen a ministry that mocks the church, attacks the church that survives. Because this is where God's hanging out. Well, you don't know about, you know, this problem, that problem. Yes. I'm not trying to be vulgar, but it it was Augustine who said this. The church is a whore, but she's our mother. Calvin reiterated it in the Reformation. In other words, yes, we have problems in the church. Yes, we have this. Yes, we have this minister did this, and these people did this, and this split off here, and that guy took the money out of the offering. Yeah, you got all this stuff, and they they bite and devour each other, but God somehow is in the middle of it, and he's still building it, and he's moving forward. You look at Matthew 13, there's nothing of perfection in the Matthew 13 parables about the kingdom of heaven. Before Jesus comes, there's going to be mixture. There's going to be issues. There's going to be the devil. There's going to be carnality, but he is in the midst of. Of the church. See, sanctification or holiness is not just we're separated from sin, it means we're privileged. When they say you're a saint, it means you're a privileged one. You got something with God that other people don't have. Paul said it this way in Ephesians: we were strangers to the covenant promises, but not now. Now that you've been brought near, you're not a stranger to the promises of God. Come on, you go, you have something. That other people have you have a thing called favor you got to think how God being with us God in the middle of us we was walking I am a kid's kid king's kid and uh, I am in the back of the line God says come over here from the back of the line to the the front of the line and all of you got stories of little favors that God's done because you are favored say I'm a favored one, a favored one. and you say well that's kind of arrogant no because we're inviting everybody else into this favored party Come on, we're we're not exclusive, we're inclusive of everybody coming in. And it goes on to say, come on, it goes, "God, God lives within it, it cannot be broken. God rescues it at the break of dawn. It's interesting, if this is true, that this was written in response to the great victory over Sennacherib, when they got up in the early morning, the Assyrians were gone. Come on, morning goes for a night season, but what comes in the morning? Come on, yeah, maybe you're going through a hard time, but come on, joy is coming. Deliverance is coming. Victory is coming. I remember Shannon, right before they came over here, she was at an MFI regional, and she had, was it a back? It was a a shoulder. She was in excruciating pain for weeks. I mean, it was debilitating. And right before she's going to go to the doctor, right at the break of dawn, she got prayed for in a little small meeting, not any bigger than this, and bam, she was healed, right at the break of dawn. Come on God always God's rescue is coming. His answer is coming. His deliverance is coming. He's never too late. Amen. He's always on time. And then it goes on, nations are in uproar. Kingdoms are overthrown. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what they're flexing, what they're saying. God overthrows kingdoms. Come on, His kingdom's the one that's going to last. God gives a shout, the earth dissolves. The Lord who commands armies is on our side. Come on, was it uh, Chris Tomlin, the God of angel armies, is always on our side? Denae can tell you, that's one of my favorite songs. I always told my worship team, I want that song sung. I got people that hate that song. I don't care if you hate that song. I love that song because He's on our side. Come on, He is with us. Come on, the Lord who commands armies on our side. The God of Jacob is our protector. This isn't poetic, I want to say the God. I just don't want to say God. I want to say God of Jacob sounds good. That's not what he wrote. The God of Jacob is the God of covenant. The God of Jacob is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God who makes covenant promises that he binds himself by his own oath to fulfill his promise in your life. Come on, I got the world shaking around me. The ocean's swelling, but God has given me a river. Its channel comes to me. He's in my life. And come on, if God be for me, who can be why? Against me. Come on, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. Come, witness the exploits of the Lord. I want to witness the exploits of the Lord. Witness what God will do. God's going to bring devastation. God's going to do some great things. He goes on. He brings an end to wars throughout the earth. He shatters the bow, breaks the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. You heard Laurie? Come on. Don't trust in chariots and horses. God's going to burn those things. Wars really speak of the rebellious agenda of man against God and his Christ. That's what wars are. If you study history and the agenda of these things, it's all antichrist. Yes, there is the just war to defend against evil. But when you look at what causes these things in the first place, it's that which is against God in the long run and His purpose and against man and against the innocent and then injustice. Come on, God brings His kingdom. Verse 10. Go on, so he brings an end to wars throughout the earth. He shatters the bow and spear, and it says, Stop your striving and recognize that I am God. Some of your translations say, Be still and know that I am God. When I was a young convert, we used to sing this song, Be still and know that I am God. Horrible interpretation of what this is saying. God is saying this, To all my enemies, shut up. That's what's happening there. Stop, Be still, Bobbin. No, no. It's to my enemies. Shut your mouth, and you listen up. I'm the king of the earth. I'm building my church, and my church is going to win. He says, "Stop your striving. I'll be exalted over the nations. I'll be exalted over the earth. I don't care what your eschatology is. we win. The church wins. We win the nations. Out of every tribe, every language, Argentina, come on, Kauai, Vancouver, Washington, Coeur d'Alene, Tri Cities, he's gonna win. I'm gonna be exalted over the nations. The Lord who commands armies is on our side. The God of Jacob, of promises, is our protector. Come on, we can't lose. Amen.
3: Thanks, buddy. I'm actually the opener for my wife, so I'll just kind of prime the pump here a little bit. But I, um, I grew up in a, um, in a small town in Alaska, a small tourist town. You guys know about tourists here, right? Oh, she's like, don't forget your glasses. Um, you guys know all about tourists. I spent most of my life disdaining tourists. Is that safe to say? I mean, yeah, you guys, you guys know what it is, right? Can you get you guys can spot a tourist, right? Yeah, ha, 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 ha. is it that we have you know our socks pulled up to our knees? What is it in the northwest? You know they wear socks with their sandals. Is that that's just weird, right? Maybe it's because we're so white. But so I spent a long time trying to not look like a tourist. And the other day we were out with Captain Jake, and I pulled a tourist move. It was so embarrassing. So I'm standing up, and, and we're in the boat, and uh, I needed some sunscreen because I looked like the belly of a halibut. But, and I, So I stand up, and I'm like, I'm just dousing myself with the spray on, and Jake's back there going, you're supposed to spray it in your hand. Like, oh, man, I'm that guy. I'm a tourist. I was trying to hide it and look local, but it didn't work. So we're super excited to be here, and uh, if you got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 18. Um, once the, the nerves settled and the diarrhea quit, you know, I heard God say, this is what I want you to talk about. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to hear God in the bathroom, but other times, you know, that's just where you got to meet Him. But so I, I want to look at something. I think that this is, you know, this is a word for, uh, for this church. I know it works for me, so um, I'm going to preach to myself, if that's okay, um, this uh, do they have problems in paradise? Yeah? Yes. Do you have problems? I mean, it's, I mean, this is awesome. Well, it, it is awesome. It will be awesome later. I mean, it's seven degrees where I come from, and it's snowing right now, and so it's a little crazy. So we're super excited to be here, but I realize I've been in enough places on the planet to realize that there's problems everywhere you go, right? And so we as Christians, as just people, you know, Christians, yes, but just as human beings, we really got to learn how to face adversity, don't we? And how to deal with just life as it comes at us. So in Acts chapter 18, I just want to read a couple of verses. I'm going to try to do it without my glasses because I am not 52 and my eyes are not going bad. That's my confession. So I'm going to start in verse, I can't see what number it is, but I think it's verse 4. But it says this, Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came, uh, they came down from Macedonia, Paul spent his full time preaching and testifying to the Jews, telling them that the Messiah that they were looking for is Jesus. Jesus. But when the Jews opposed him and they insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his robe and said, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Thank you very much for having me. God bless you. Have a good day. (laughs) That's kind of a strange verse to read, isn't it? But as I look at this verse, there's something that really stands out to me, and that is that Here's Paul, and he's bringing Jesus to a group of people that desperately need him. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus, don't we? And it says they insulted him, and they resisted him. You ever have anybody insult you? Yeah? I kind of like the way that, you know, the Passion Translation says it a little differently. If I can try to be techie here for just a second, I want to read it to you. It says... Um, if I can find it her eh? it says that this is what he said they viciously slandered him and they hurled abuse on him now I don't know if I've had anybody hurl abuse on me or viciously slander me but I know what it's like to be abandoned I know what it's like to be spoken evil against I know what it's like to be rejected and I know that you do too And I think some of us in here, probably all of us, have faced situations in our life where others didn't think we were as awesome as we thought ourselves to be. I think we've all, I mean, some of you probably have come through divorce. You've known what rejection is like. You've known what pain in life is like. You know what it's like to lose. At something To lose something very close or very dear to you. Maybe you've suffered humiliation in your life. Maybe it's been bankruptcy. I don't know. But we've all suffered something, right? How do you overcome that? How do we get through that? Here's what I know. I know that if we can't shake off the dust of the past, we're going to drag it into our future. I do know that. I do know that if we can't shake off the failure, the hurt, the rejection, the disappointment, the discouragement, all the things that have wounded us and insulted us in the past, our tendency is to drag it into our future. And if we drag our past into our future, you know what we do? We forfeit the blessing that God wants to give us because all we see is the goodness that God brings to it. We see it through the lens of our past pain, through the lens of our past failure. So we've got to learn as Christians to shake that off. There's a story I heard about an old farmer, and he had this donkey. And uh, this donkey got out of his pasture one day, and... Uh, He was was walking across the the barnyard, and there was an old well that was covered. It was an old dry well. It was covered with some boards, and this donkey tripped up on there and fell right down to the bottom of this dry well. And so the farmhands come into the farmer and said, We've tried to get him out, but we, we can't dig him out. We can't pull him out. He's stuck in there. The farmer goes, Well, I guess you just better bury him. So they started throwing in dirt. Shovel load after shovel load, they were throwing in dirt, just bearing the old donkey, filling in the old well. And one of the guys looks down in the well, and he sees this donkey. He's about halfway up, standing on the dirt. And They're like, what? How did that happen? So they looked in. As each shovel load went in and landed on top of him, he shook it off, and he stepped up. He shook it off, and he stepped up. You know, that's what we need to learn to do. As, yes, as Christians, but as human beings, we need to learn to shake some things off and to step up. Because if we can't shake it off, then we drag all of that into our future and it's clouded. You see, the thing is about our future is God can't give us the new thing until we shake off the old thing. He can't. Because we're dragging the old thing and we're expecting it to look like the new thing. But the new thing ends up looking just like the old thing. And so there ain't no new thing. Come on, church. we got to learn to shake it off and to step up. Can we do that? I think that's a word for me. I think that's a word for you. We have got to be people that look beyond the pain, look beyond the sorrow, look beyond the failure of the past We shake it off and we step into the new promise that God has for us. I know we got some new pastors here. Pretty awesome, right? These guys are great. I keep hearing, oh, he is such a great preacher. And he is. You know what's better than that? They're great people. They know how to shake off the pain of the past and step up into the future. And I think that Jesus has some great future for us if we can do that. Now, check this out. If you read down a couple of verses, it says this. After that, after Paul shook out his robe and said, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm going to do it a different way. After that, it says this. He stayed with, with Titus and Justice, a Gentile who worshiped God. And he was right next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and all uh, the home group, they, they believed in the, all of his home, they believed in the Lord. And many other uh, Gentiles in Corinth also became believers and were baptized. Once he stepped away from the past, stepped into the new, then all of a sudden, fruitfulness began to come into his life. And Jesus comes to him. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and says, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. I am with you. I have many people in this city. I know that your your vision here for Kauai Bible Church, there's a lot of people going to hell here, right? And your mission is probably like mine. We say about Bend, Oregon, we want to make it hard to go to hell in Bend. How do we do that? We make Jesus famous. How do we make Jesus famous as people? We learn to forgive. We learn to shake it off and step up. And we learn to sing in the dark. Do you know what it means to sing in the dark? When you can't see the promise of God, when you don't know what's up and what's down, and you've been hurt and you've been rejected, and your life is covered with pain and sorrow, you say, come on, I'm going to sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Come on. Come on. Raise a hallelujah. That's what we got to learn to do as followers of Jesus. We got to sing in the dark. And you don't always know what's ahead, but you know who your leader is, right? You know who your leader is. Can you sing even when you can't see the promise? Church, don't give up. Don't quit. We've only just begun this journey. And so whatever comes your way, we've got to, as God's people, for the sake of this island, for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus, we've got to learn to shake it off and to step up, to let the past go and to step into the new. Can we do that? I'm going to turn it over to my wife, and she's going to preach even better than me. But I want you to do one thing as she's coming up here. I want you to stand up. Yeah, yeah, that's you. And now symbolically and prophetically, come on, just shake some stuff off. Shake it off. We're going to let it go. We're going to shake it off, and we're going to step up into what Jesus has for us.
4: Amen. And I'm going to do a quick kind of symbolic thing. You can sit down. Are you watching? So... I'm talking about position to receive. I didn't throw that very good. <laughs> and um, when we're positioned to receive, our disposition has to be a certain way. And I, uh, I just appreciate all the words that have come so far because I just see a, a really beautiful theme, don't you guys? Like as you're listening. Um, so I am a mother of six kids. And thank you, thank you. I actually have a necklace here my sister-in-law gave me with each birth certificate on, uh, or each birth stone on it. But when it, did it, was anybody there, has anybody been to a birth when, when a baby's coming into the world? Has anybody caught a baby? A couple of you. So it's kind of a messy thing. It's kind of unpredictable. You don't quite know what's coming at you or when it's gonna happen. There's not a certain time frame that you can say in five seconds countdown, right? Five, four, three, two, one. Be ready? No, it's just like you have to be positioned to receive and you don't know exactly when it's coming, how it's coming, what it's going to look like, what is up, right? And so that's what I want to talk to you about for a minute um, today is just being positioned to receive Um, like we have to be when we're receiving a new child. Um, God wants us positioned to receive and I felt that he dropped that in my spirit for this church that this is a season for you to be positioned to receive something new and something fresh and something in a new way than ever before. And in order to be positioned to receive, our disposition matters. What is our disposition? Our disposition, you know, I, I looked up one definition, was the predominant or prevailing tendency of one's spirit, natural mental health and emotional outlook or mood, characteristic attitude, customary moods, temperament. So our disposition is kind of like our internal workings, how we process. Um, But what did I say? My disposition affects my position. So like in a natural birth, if a baby's coming and I'm like, eh, I really don't care. Am I going to be down here ready? No. No. But if I'm like, I have been waiting for this. I've been praying for this my whole life. This is something I've been anticipating It changes my position, right? What's happening internally changes my external response. And I just, um, I think that is what God's looking for in us, this, a a change in position, but it comes from a change in disposition. But it's interesting because disposition, that word dis, it's actually the opposite of or negative like if you say disbelieve or or you know all these dis words so it's interesting disposition can be separated like a negative position which is often you know a negative position position a disposition can keep us from the position we need to be in to receive what god wants for us so i just i wanted to go to um that passage in Psalms. And, um, and just speak from Psalms, the end of Psalms 23 and, and Psalms 24. Um, so it says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So the disposition of this person in Psalms 23 is in the presence of my enemies. He's making me a feast. Isn't that amazing? He's making me a feast when everybody is coming at me, when everyone's attacking me. There's no stress in my life. I'm at rest because why? That, because it says right right beyond that, it says, my cup overflows with blessing. So he's speaking as my enemies are around me, as my enemies are attacking me, as my enemies are very much in my face. Not, not some distant thought, but right in my face, my cup overflows with blessing. My head is anointed with oil. I'm welcomed as a guest in the presence of the king. What a phenomenal disposition. Why? Because surely his goodness and his mercy chases me down. One translation says it chases me down. This guy's disposition is that God's mercy and goodness chases him down in the middle, right in the face of his enemies. It's beautiful. Don't you think? Then you go into Psalms 24, and this hit me, I don't know, sometime this last year. This just, like, was a slap in my face. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So we're coming from in the presence of my enemy, blessings in the face of the enemy, surely goodness and mercy pursuing me, bounty, living in the presence of God, living in the house of the Lord. It goes right into the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. So to be positioned to receive, there's a couple of things. We need a revelation of who God is. We need a revelation of who we are in light of who he is. Right? So this is the first part of Psalms 24. This first part... The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's the maker. He's the creator. He's all in all. He's everything. He's, um, you know, there is no lack. It says everything in it. No lack, a God of plenty. The world and all its people belong to him. All authority, everything under heaven is his. He's, He's, nothing, nothing is bigger than him. Nothing is more than him. Nothing, nothing surprises him. For he laid the foundation on the seas. He was before all. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. And built it on the ocean depths. He's the foundation of it all. So, that first part is me understanding who God is. When God gives us a fresh revelation of who He is, it changes everything. Like Hagar, you know, when she thought she was dying and her son there, she gets a revelation of. Elroy, the God who sees. In In these times and seasons, in the presence of our enemy, God wants to give us a fresh revelation of who he is in every season of our life. And from there, it goes into, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have right standing with God their Savior. They alone may enter God's presence and worship the God of Israel. This is about understanding who we are. So first we understand who God is, and in light of that, we understand who we are. Um, We, you know, so many things. But one thing I want to pull out is who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Understanding who we are requires us to be honest with the person that's the hardest to be honest with. (laughs) That's ourselves. It says, you know, that all kinds of things are hidden within us. And so God, when he gives us a fresh revelation of himself, like what do you think Hagar said once she knew that was the God who sees? She had to confront what was going on in in her mind and heart regarding herself and her position because if God sees me, God knows me. He knows where I'm at. You know, it, it changes everything when we have a different, a new understanding of who God is, it, it, and it flows through into our understanding of ourselves. It changes everything. And out of that comes the last part of that scripture, who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, oh, sorry, we already did that, only whose hands and hearts are pure. We read that part. But then down below, verse 7, open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. Let the king of glory enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the king of glory enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. So we understand who he is. We understand who we are. We get access. So position to receive. Our disposition needs to be one One of God, give me a fresh revelation of who you are. God, take away every impure thing in me. Do you see how that positions me then to receive the fullness of who he is and to step into the authority to open up? We can start commanding there because I know who my God is, and I know who I am in light of him. And so because of that, open up, you ancient doors. Let the king of glory enter. You know, it says um, we've been given the keys, Right. We can unlock and lock. And and that's what happens in that place of understanding. And I just um, I I just this thought, you know, faith is believing that God can do it. Identity is knowing that God can do it through me. And so that's the difference here. Faith, that first part of the scripture is knowing God can do it. Identity is that second part when God starts taking away the lies I've been, le- been believing about myself, and he can do it through me. He can cause me to be the one that unlocks and locks things here in Hawaii. And um, so many things in my head, but I guess I would just finish with this. I started by throwing that, my sweater, right? <laughs> And how, you know, position to receive. If we are positioned to receive, our disposition, God has changed our disposition to be positioned, right? And um, And so there is this, I don't know where I even heard it, but we can either be, you know, like an umbrella, right? So we're like, <laughs> and like everything that God's trying to give us just sheds because we won't even receive it. Or we can be like a funnel. Do you see the difference? The difference in my disposition and my position? And so I just want to leave you with that you know, that God wants to do a work in all of us all the time, changing our disposition. So that he can change our position, so that we can be positioned to receive all kinds of things favor, blessing, understanding, revelation, authority, access. I mean, the list goes on and on. That's the end of Psalms 23 the blessings, the mercy, and the goodness chasing us down, the the, the feast in front of our enemies, like no fear. I mean, that's a that's position to receive, no fear. Who could use no fear? I could you know, so many things, but I, I, um, in this too, we, uh, in, in our lives being a funnel instead of an umbrella, we can, uh, I want to challenge us just to rejoice with what God is bringing and as a church to be, to be open to the messy that's coming, like that birth of something new, because it, when you're I I just feel that for your church. Like, position to receive something that doesn't look like yesterday, something that looks different, something that looks messy, something that isn't the same, something that's new and different, but it's God, and it's God's timing, and God's seizing, and God's revelation, and God changing an identity here so that you have the authority with what you are called to do in this time and this season, just what she prophesied, just what Danae read in the Scripture, just what's been the theme. You guys... God is up to some cool stuff, and he, he's changing your framework to receive something new so that he can do something new in and through you and give you access to places you haven't had access before here.
5: Amen. Some good words. I just want to give you some hope this morning. I just set a timer for 12 minutes. So that's going to go off, so we're going to get out of here on time, but this has just been a great, I want to encourage everybody that's able to, to come out tonight, I just believe that the team is just loaded with some words of the Lord for the people and for this church, and I just believe there's a great uh, expectation of what God is going to do tonight, so I'm pumped about coming back to church tonight, and so I think it'd be great to see everybody and bring a friend, and God's going to do a work in people's hearts. Uh, we're talking about Kauai Bible Church, and I want to read a verse about the Bible. And we can go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And I just want to read this. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration. Another version would say God breathed, given by inspiration. And I want us to focus on that. Of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can somebody say inspired, inspired. this morning? Inspired. I believe that the Word of God is something that is just so incredible. This is Kauai Bible Church. And when I open the Bible, all of a sudden, I start to encounter God. I get to see God for who he is. In the Bible, it's not just a set of rules or instructions or things that I need to like not do. It's about me being able to see the greatness and the glorious uh, attributes of this God, the God of the universe, the God who loves us and what He wants to do in and through us. So when we read the Bible, we should just be inspired. We should be blown away. It's an exciting thing. It's an opportunity that we have. Inspiration. I can give a definition. A couple. In, in one definition says it's the proper process. Of being stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. In the Bible, in the Strongest Concordance, it says to be urged by the Spirit. To be urged by the Spirit. I don't know when the last time you felt like you were urged by the Spirit. But when we read the Bible, we should be moved. And I believe that Kauai Bible Church is going to be a church that is going to be urged by the Spirit of God. It's going to be a church that is inspired. This is going to be a church that is going to be moved. This is going to be a church that is going to be moving, and not just in your own strength or in your own great ideas, but the Holy Spirit is going to breathe inspiration into our hearts, and you are going to be called to go and do things that you have not done before. There are come on there are some basics that God has you know urged us in the Bible like go and make disciples. If you have not made a disciple the Holy Spirit would urge you to go and make some disciples because that is exciting. After getting saved, there is nothing more exciting than seeing somebody or helping somebody along that path to become to get to know Jesus Christ. It is the greatest thing in the world. I, Wow, I just, I was part of that. And now he's saved. Just to be able to see a friend get baptized or to baptize somebody, it is just one of the most unbelievable blessings that we can experience in this lifetime. God has called us to go make disciples. God has called us to love. God has called us to love even our enemies. God has called us to just, you know, to urge us to love. I believe there's just going to be a new urging there's going to be a new moving to love to love each other to love one another to love our enemies to love Kauai that in a new way we've got people that come to uh, our church in Corrientes and they're just like this is different we've got there's nothing you know we got nothing wrong with catholics i mean our city is like whoo super hyper catholic but they come to church and then all of a sudden they're saying we have never met God before, and they say they we we experience God because because we, because we felt loved here. God is love, and so when we are urged by the Spirit, the love of God starts to grow in our lives, and we begin to move in a new dimension. I had a guy who said, "Yeah, I, I'm trying to love people, but you know the." the The pastor really loves people. And I said... I'm sorry, but I don't think the Bible designated that word. You know, the pastors are supposed to love people. I said, whatever process you're going through, God is working in you and moving in you and teaching you how to love people like you have never been able to love people before. To forgive people like you've never been able to to forgive people before. God is just urging something in our hearts. He is inspiring something new in you. Uh inspired word of god we have in corrientes and all over argentina we have these scooters and it's insane it's not as bad as maybe like thailand or something but we got these little motorcycles and you're like constantly watching out for them because they're just blazing by you on the sides and if we hit one we're actually responsible even if they're just like being crazy but has anybody ever owned a motorcycle or a little scooter how do you get that thing moving? Well, you got to start it, and then what do you got to do? You got to open the throttle. Does that make sense? Gotta, that's what you say it in English, right? You say open the throttle, sometimes it's like a little mixed up. But you got to open the throttle. If you want to get moving in your Christian walk and you want to start to get inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit, and you want to go to a new dimension, you're going to have to open your Bible because when you start to open your Bible, you start to open the throttle of the Holy Spirit, and you start to get moved and you start to go forward, your spiritual life will accelerate at a rate that you are would not even expect. You will grow and new things will start to happen in your life because you would open the word of God, and the God who is inspired, the God who has breathed into the Word of God, is gonna breathe new life, and He's gonna breathe new things into your spirit and you are just going to start to do things that you have never done before you will grow i just want to declare growth i just want to declare a new love for the word of god and new encounter with the living god who just is here to reveal himself to us and so many things happen we're just inspired like in first corinthians 12 it says but earnestly desire the best gifts. The, whole, the, the Word of God calls us to do things and to try new things like spiritual gifts, like stepping out in faith, like when well, we said making disciples, but maybe pray for a sick person or maybe, you know, prophesy. I was out in this little town called Rio Muerto, Dead River. We changed the name to Living River. We didn't like that name. And so, you know, I stand up, and I'm trying to be, you know, a guy of faith, and I say, hey, (laughs) you know, I just, I see in the spirit some lungs, and I see there's somebody who's dealing with some lung issues. It's just, they're dark, you're hurting, and you need healing in your lungs. Is anybody dealing with a lung issue? And at that point, maybe that's happening to you, but this was for that moment. Nobody raised their hands all right, that's cool, maybe I missed it, so I just start preaching, and out of the corner of my eye, there's like somebody in the window over here, and they're like waving and shaking, I'm like, dude, what are you doing, that's weird, I'm trying to preach, and, and then they, you know, we weren't understanding each other, all of a sudden, they come back in the church and the pastor's wife, she's, she's dragging one of the, the Sunday school teachers up to the front of the altar. And she's like, this is the lady who's got the lung problems. And so we stopped the sermon for a second. We prayed over this woman, and her lungs got healed instantly. And it was just a crazy experience. But God wants to move us to do new things he wants to open the throttle on your spiritual life he wants to move Kauai bible church like it's never been moved before to get this love of god and just to see this revelation of the glory of god and what he could do in you what he could do in your family what he could do in this island what he could do with you guys around the world it's an amazing thing of what god can do. I really really believe that God wants to take Kauai Bible church from good to great. God wants to take you from good to great. The last verse, and I'll just finish off with this. It says, you know, all these things that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Competent, proficient adept, capable. You are going to be ready for every good work. You are going to be able to touch the needs that are around. Uh, Kauai, you're going to be able to touch the needs in your friend's life. We just have this theme that says a transforms heart means a transformed Family, which means a transformed neighborhood, which means a transformed city. And we're just believing that that's going to happen from Corrientes to the nations. And I just want to say that's going to happen from Kauai to the nations. God has taken Kauai Bible Church from good to great. He's opening the throttle of the Holy Spirit over your life. And you are going to be moved to do things that you have never done before. And God is going to lift this church up to a whole new level god is on your side and there's nothing that you cannot do when the holy spirit is filling you up and moving in your life so i just declare that i want to close out praying jesus i just praise you for Kauai bible church i praise you for these pastors i praise you for this church and i would just pray that right now that you would breathe over this congregation with a new inspiration that you would just fill their hearts with the word of god that they would see your glory that they would see your passion that they would see your heart that they would see the great things that you have in store for them that they would be able to see what you have installed in their hearts that they would be able to accomplish in and through you lord jesus that you would just raise the spiritual level of this church that will impact lives families neighborhoods Islands, cities, and nations. I just declare that Kauai Bible Church is going from good to great. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.